This is Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast, bringing you insights and views from across Asia's food value chain. Now for today's interview. Hi again, everybody. I'm Duke Hip, host of Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast. And we're honored to be joined by another great guest today. And joining us on the podcast is Professor William Chen. He's the Director of Food Science and Technology Program over at Nanyang Technological University, or NTU, here in Singapore. Hi, Professor Chen. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Duke, for reaching out and having me on this program. Absolutely. Well, we're excited about having you today, especially because it's a big week uh, in an area we like to get into. And so if it's okay, we'll, we'll jump into the, the questions. Yeah. So as you know, this week we recognize uh, International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste. And through the context of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, <clears throat> excuse me, of the SDGs, this is really uh, represented through SDG 12 and specifically target 12.3, which is to have to cut in half per capita global food waste at the retail and consumer levels and reduce food losses along production and supply chains. Well, we know, of course, that reducing food loss and waste is the right thing to do, but maybe what's not quite as well understood or, or, um, or appreciated is the critical importance that it plays in addressing a variety of challenges that we face, whether it be the food security, food safety, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, just to name a few. Can you share some insights maybe into the role reducing food loss and waste really plays on that level? Uh, well, thanks, Duke, for this uh, uh, very important question. So the way when we look at the food security, right, uh, actually is uh, not just about making food available. I think the uh, uh, general public, they have this perception that as long as they have a food on the dining table, that's enough. But uh, actually, it's broader than just uh, having food on the table. Uh, we're talking about, uh, first, uh, primary agriculture production. Second, uh, processing technology to sort of uh, uh, provide consumers with wider choice of food produce and also uh, reduce food waste. Processing technology has a very important aim is to reduce food waste. Third is actually nutrition. Uh, so if we look at the agriculture production, now we see this uh, increase in the world population, the growth in the world population, uh, which is uh, estimated to be uh, reaching about 10 billion by 2050. So uh, normally the general public would think that, oh, as long as we can, you know, uh, clear more land, uh, so produce more crops and, uh, and livestock, then that shouldn't be a problem. But the fact is that uh, the climate change is actually closely associated with our farming practice. Why is this so? Well, if you look at the, uh, uh, a crop farming, right? Actually, uh, a lot of people may not know that uh, 80% of the crops after harvest actually channel to annual feed. So you can see that the, uh, well, the livestock farming uh, actually is another challenge because uh, not only we need to channel the crops that can be used for consumers to the, to the uh, animal feeds, but also livestock farming takes a lot of space. So in order to meet the, the consumer's demand for food, we have to claim more land. Then this will lead to deforestation, climate change, and all the things we see. In fact, if you look around, this uh, ongoing COVID-19 pandemic is actually part of this climate change uh, uh, problem. So that's uh, on the agriculture part. The second one is that we, we generate too much food loss and food waste, like uh, Duke pointed out. 
correctly. Why is it so? Because industry uh, skill farming is always far, 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 far away from the urban area. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the way we transport the, the harvest of food uh, to the city and the way we store uh, this food, all these require energy and uh, generate a lot of uh, food loss post-harvest, uh, post-harvest food loss. So uh, then when we talk about food waste, it's, uh, you know, uh, some, sometimes it's a processing side stream. Sometimes more importantly, it's a con- on the consumer end. I think uh, the point blank, we eat too much. Yeah. So if you look at the uh, World War II at the time, you know, people eat much lesser, but, you know, the health is uh, uh, not sort of uh, linearly associated with how much we eat, but rather on the minimal nutrition requirement. So this linked to the uh, the third point, which is nutrition security. But coming back to food loss and food waste, there's this uh, survey done by uh, Food and Agriculture uh, Organization under the UN, which estimated that the if we can reduce the globally all the food loss and food waste, in fact, we don't need, we do not need to clear more land to meet the growth of a world population. That shows the importance of reducing food waste and food loss, which, by the way, takes up up to thirty to forty percent of the agricultural production. I hope I have answered your question. Well, no, that was a great answer. Thank you, Professor Chen. I you touched on a lot of different things. I'd like to get into in more detail. So uh, what a great answer. I, I, so maybe for the second question, we could touch on one thing you did raise there, the COVID-19, the current global pandemic and what's happening there. So staying on the same same on the same st- topic and kind of diving into this a little bit deeper, by most accounts, as you know, there's a strong nexus among food waste, climate change, COVID-19. And specifically, I know you were recently interviewed by CNBC for, an, for a uh, piece that they put together on this topic. And you, your quote, one of your quotes was the pandemic is really a very good wake-up call in this sense. Can you share more about what you meant by that and what that all means? What the general public, I would not, I would say, is is used to this, uh, you know, easily available food, you know, affordable food in general, especially in uh, in Singapore. Uh, uh, so, so we don't. When we talk about when the you know news or media and scientists, uh, you know, uh, uh, talk about climate change, actually we we know is uh, is coming. But the, the the sense of urgency is not there because you may see extreme weather condition in far far away country in in the North America or in the, in Europe, but we still see food on the table. So so the the uh, we are not really thinking this uh, as a crisis. But COVID nineteen actually uh, why I say is a wake up call because it actually has a huge impact on the global supply chain. That's one thing. So the food cannot move. Even you have money, you cannot buy food because food is not moving. Secondly, with the restriction of human movement, we think with all, most countries affected by, by COVID-19, the, the farming, agricultural production is, is affected because farmers cannot go to the, you know, do anything about the harvest or, or, or you know, planting the seed for the next uh, season. So as a result, we see lower agricultural yield we see no movement of food. So uh, for a country like, uh, uh, for import food importing country, including Singapore, uh, this is a huge challenge because we may we may have a resources to buy food, even though we have a huge diversification of the uh, food import sources. But with this uh, limitation in the global supply chain, then there's very not much we can do. So therefore, I would say it's not just uh, for Singapore, but for many countries, 
uh, it's a wake-up call. So to, we need to actually build as much as we can, you know, local food production capabilities. So this is why I call it, uh, it's a wake-up call by this COVID-19. And bear in mind that the COVID-19 uh, may, may, be, may be gone in a few years' time, but it will not be the last one because as I mentioned, COVID-19 is associated with climate change. And climate change is real, it's coming. So there will be other you know, infectious disease outbreak that we, we can expect in coming years. Yeah. Thank you for that. And we, we've heard that from other guests too, I know, who've said that it really is, it's the, it's the fragile nature of the food systems that have been exposed by this. And it's, we're not going to, whatever the issue, it's not going to go away as far as uh, those those challenges. That's so, right. Well, should, the question number three, we'll, we'll move on to that. You, you touched on another interesting uh, facet of this, that is the the, the, the the situation with the farmers. And here in Asia, of course, more, more smallholders, as you know, more smallholder farmers, I think the largest number of those farmers, are also the smallest size farms anywhere in the world, right here in Asia. And you noted in that same CNBC article recently, uh, the Southeast Asia really is particularly vulnerable, right, when it comes to food waste because of, because of the smallholder farmers, their situation, who really re- rely on, as you noted, the intensive livestock farming and, and lack of the means to invest in agricultural uh, agricultural technology. Continue that on a little bit. What, what, in your opinion, needs to be done to change that equation and to maybe better enable and empower those regional smallholders uh, in that sense? Yeah, this is a, a, this is a very, very good question. Do you, uh, in my view, through working with the Asian Development Bank, I think that uh, we really need a very strong public-private partnership to take change things because, uh, as, you, as you already pointed out, we have a lot of smallholder farmers in Southeast Asia and they rely on traditional farming practices like you know uh, uh, rice or or some kind of cro- other type of crops uh, and also uh, livestock farming. So they build this uh, livelihood around these farming practices. But with this climate change and the and the push for you know alternative food source or reduce the uh, our consumption reliance on uh, livestock farming, so there's a push for this farmer to adopt a new new way of farming. But we also need to look after this livelihood of these smallholder farmers because they are, you know, they, they rely still very labor intensive, relatively low tech, and they may not be aware of these uh, changes which are, are coming their way. So I would say the government's help in, in investing uh, in this infrastructure setup to help them transit from the traditional farmer, uh, farming to the new type, new way of farming is very important. And another important point is that we must look after them in terms of trade-off. We cannot say, let's say you are you 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 used to uh, cattle farming, all of a sudden we ask you to grow some kind of uh, new crops. So can they can they survive the changes? Can this uh, new crop farming would that affect their livelihood? All these are the questions that we need to answer. And how to help them adopt? New technology uh, sometimes may not be complicated, like for example, using some kind of uh, uh, sensor to detect a uh, water level or, or weather conditions, you know, uh, or the uh, nutrient fertilizer need. All these are not necessarily high tech, but someone has to do the uh, to initiate this uh, uh, new uh, sort of development in the new way of farming. So I would say that the industry and the government can work together to help the farmer. But at the same time, we also need to get greater buy-in from consumers. 
you no point to to say that we develop all the normal food to sort of uh, uh, mitigate the impact of uh, climate change on our food system. But if there's no buy-in from consumers, uh, then nothing will move because demand drives supply. So only when we can change, sort of empower everyone in the space, in the food space, then there's a flow of the value system. Then the value chain will change and then everyone will benefit from it. So this is uh, my uh, the way I see how we should uh, sort of uh, engage smallholder farmers effectively. Thanks for that. That's a great answer. Um, we're moving right through these. And so we've come to the fourth question I'd like to, to pose to you. And, and that is, it gets back to um, something you just touched on, the partnerships and some of the platforms that are out there. There's a proliferation of, of uh, and I think it's a good development, I would think, just from the outside, so many new platforms, so many partnerships and approaches right here in Southeast Asia that are creatively tackling the problem when it comes to food waste, which is, a, as I said, a, a good development. Uh, and you see that from companies that are selling excess and imperfect fruits and vegetables to you know, eff- efforts to transform food waste into ag uh, fertilizer to government's initiatives to uh, bring new resources to bear, much like the new Singapore scheme announced just last week to collect food waste from a number of HDBs later this year. So many big developments that are happening. but And these are all, as I said, high profile, big, big developments. But aside from those, I guess apart from those approaches, are there simple things that people can do in their own part and take to do the right thing or to take that step forward as far as helping to reduce food loss in ways they can do at home that you might uh, point out? Oh, right. So uh, first, let me, let me say a few words about this uh, uh, platform. So I think uh, it's very important for, it's another reflection of public-private partnership in the sense that, uh, we, for example, at the uh, uh, university, we may have uh, developed a lot of innovations in the food space, but the visibility, exposure, awareness of this innovation may not be there. Uh, at the same time, big companies, they may be very interested in taking up some of the innovation, but they may not want to really start on left scale. So, uh, then they may not want to sort of uh, really invest in the production line to produce something they will use, but it's not part of a core business. Some example may be natural food preservative that everyone wants to use, incorporate, which is developed by, by NTU, our program. But uh, many companies are interested, but very few companies want to produce it because it's hardly uh, part of most companies' uh, core business. So here we see an opportunity to sort of enhance uh, this uh, food uh, ecosystem in the sense that some of the startups, you know, uh, SMEs, they can actually take it up so they produce at scale so they know their business will be successful because there will be market demand. At the same time, MNCs will not will not need to invest separately into something that is not part of the uh, core business. And then for university innovators, then they will say, they will see the relevance of innovation to society. So this is what we say, uh, a very helpful um, platform, not just connecting the dot, but also uh, innovator can actually provide technical help to make the, the innovation really commercializable uh, co- at the commercial level, uh, uh, viable and sustainable. So really helping the society to solve some of the food waste problem. The, the second thing is that the, at the consumer, general public, what can we do? Uh, well, not everyone needs to be involved in the tech innovation or adoption of this tech innovation. And this more towards uh, for the companies, you know, with the government. Uh, on consumer end, what I could see is that we can be better aware of this uh, climate change, which is coming. 
the impact of climate change, which affect our food supply and the food security, at the big picture, at the small, uh, at the practical level, consumer what they can do is like, you know, instead of going to grocery shopping, go always come back with a full trolley of grocery shopping uh, food uh, produce. We can actually do better planning by roughly gauging how much we need to eat, uh, how much we need to cook. Then we we try to minimize over over purchasing, right? This applies also to cooking. Yeah, you know, when we sort of cook, we don't overcook, and then the way to sort of store the level in the fridge. Uh, you know, no one likes to eat level over, but we can minimize all these uh, unnecessary uh, sources to generate food waste, right? And I think if uh, everyone is aware of these. Uh, uh, Practical steps. I think we collectively we can make an impact in terms of reducing food waste generation. Yeah. Thanks, Professor Chen. No, that's good practical advice. We appreciate uh, your insights on that. And so, with that, we've come to the final, the fifth and final question. Um, and with this question, we like to sort of lighten it up a little bit. Uh, we talked about some really challenging issues. You mentioned the rise in population and some of the challenges around meeting food security with that, some of the challenges the smallholders are facing uh, on that front. So a lot of things that are uh, go into this equation and some tough tough um, you know, aspects of it. But are there some positive things that you look at and say, well, in the next five to 10 years or so, you can see a, you would maybe predict a, a good development, something that's coming online. It could be a, a positive big step that's coming down the line. Something you could share with us on that on that piece. Yeah. Uh, I would say that with this, uh, really, everyone is feeling the impact of COVID-19, right? Not just for food, but also for health. Uh, I think in, in the coming years, with a higher level of uh, awareness of this uh, impact from these external factors, uh, I will see that uh, there will be a collective effort to develop a locally-based food security and enhance the food system. For a small country like Singapore, we will see a sort of development of urban farming, for example, with a, a new alternative food sources, which we don't see, uh, we have not seen very much in the in the past. Doesn't mean that uh, we should not do it. For example, we talk about uh, mushroom farming or protein-rich microalgae farming. Let's just to show some example. Another example is cultivated meat or seafood. That is, uh, uh, is not. I, I would not say it would take us 20 years to reach that, that defeated purpose because we, we can't tell in 20 years what the food system will, be, will look like uh, 20 years down the road. So what I can say is that for the agricultural uh, food exporting countries, they may look at the different source of uh, crops uh, which are available in the, in the region or the country. One example is this uh, underutilized crops like uh, bambara, groundnuts. These are not the industry-scale monoculture type of crops, but they are equally nutritious. It's just that uh, we have not explored the full potential in the nature. Actually, to summarize uh, uh, what I see in five or 10 years' time, I would say that the urban farming combining with uh, the push for alternative food sources will see a broader spectrum of choices for consumers. And uh, some of them, you know, these are perfect for, for actually to meet the consumer demand because now consumers want fresher food, more nutritious, looking good and uh, and affordable. And all these, uh, you know, urban farming would, would uh, address some of these issues and the alternative uh, source from the nature will also address some other concerns. So 
with a wide spectrum of choice for consumers, I think uh, we collectively can actually address these uh, challenges of the food system in years to come. Thank you. Understood. No, that's a great answer. And, and with that, Professor Shen, we've come to the end of the interview and you're officially off the five good questions hot seat. We wanted to thank you for your insights and expertise on such an important topic and a, and a timely topic, you know, food loss and food waste uh, here in Asia. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to bringing you another five good questions interview. 